Father, this morning, we just want to thank you, Father. Through it all, you were there, Father. Through it all, you have kept us. None of us have to be better than somebody. We all have to just do our part in your plan for humanity, Lord. You have a plan. And you saw the end from the beginning. And you have all, you have placed all of us in different positions in time. And I pray through the ministry of the word, there will be clarity in the minds of your children that they will know what is the good, the pleasing, perfect will of God. For your word says the world and the desires will pass away. But he who does the will of God will never pass away. Your word says it is not those who say, Lord, Lord, in thy name. But those who do the will of God, who will enter into thy kingdom. When your son came in this mortal flesh, wrapped up in humanity, he declared, Behold, I have come to do your will. And in the volume of the book, it is written about me. A body you have prepared for me. O oh, Father, a body you have given us separately and corporately. And in this volume of this book, it is written about us. That we may do your will, O oh God. So even now as we continue our study from your word, I pray the only purpose is that we may learn, we may know, we may understand, may we may receive the revelation in our points in our life that we may do, fulfill your will, Lord. Speak to us, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Last Sunday we looked at, and uh, yesterday also in detail with the pastors, we looked at uh, the, the title of last Sunday's message is, Who's Got Your Head? I hope your head is on your shoulders. Whoever has your head controls your life. The head means your mind. And everything aimed in this world is to control our mind. And when you lose control over your mind, when nobody can anymore control your mind, including yourself, that's when you are certified lunatic. And you are locked up. Okay, understand, everything is directed at your mind and it is from there that comes. So for those who are in the kingdom, who's been born again by the word and by the spirit, they start to realize the contradictions in their life, the struggles they face after coming into the kingdom no longer seems to be like before. The struggles you are facing. The reason is because scripture says, we were born into this world, born again into a battle, a war, which will only stop at the last breath of your life, literally. And it's so vividly shown to us by Jesus' last hours on the cross. The battle is raging over his mind to make him confess something against the word of God. The voices beneath the cross are raging at him, mocking at him, scorning at him. If you are the son of God, that's where the first temptation began. If you are the son of God, come down. 
all kinds of screams and mockery and everything to see his mind would be affected through the hearing and he would deviate from the will, the purpose and the mind of God. So remember, till the last breath, this battle continues. It continues. Okay, so because it's for your mind, it comes everything through the mind. So we are at war. We are with war, not with flesh and blood. That's how they deceive us to fight one another because they do not want us to identify our real enemy. Bible says the real enemy are powers of darkness, rulers, principalities, kingdoms, powers of darkness. And therefore in his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul writes, put on the full armor of God. Armor is defensive in purpose. Full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. And then he says, if you look at, if you look at the armor, you will see you have a breastplate of righteousness and then you have a shield of faith because you see your heart needs a double covering. Because your heart is a seat of your emotions. And most people are swayed by emotions. Emotions. And the ministry of the word should not be directed at your emotions because that would be deception. The ministry of the word should be directed at your reason because the word of God is absolutely reasonable and it is logical and it is truth. Truth is not aimed primarily at your emotions. It is aimed at your mind. The mind processes it. The heart receives it. You believe it. The will decides and the emotions is like the force that drives you forward. That's the way it should be. So be very careful. We do not become emotional when we hear the word of God. The word of God is directed to not to the emotions. Primarily, emotions come. Yes, great emotions will arise when the what you heard is now mixed with your emotions. You may get excited. You may be convicted. You may be sorrowful. You may be fearful. All these emotions can be evoked by the preaching of the word of God. But the word of God is not primarily Directed at your emotions. And if you see ministries that consistently and constantly preach to emotions. And you will see that in the reaction of the people. That that ministry is dangerous. Because the word of God is incredibly reasonable. Because we have to reason it out. Faith does not come from feelings. Faith comes from hearing. When Bible talks about hearing, it includes your eyes and your ears primarily. This coming together. That's why I said, look at me. The reason is not that I want you to admire my face, but if you look somewhere else and to listen is very difficult. Your concentration is divided. That's why God put our eyes and ears in close proximity so that you watch and you hear. So, we hear it goes into our mind. Faith first comes into the mind. Because our mind is always processing something. And to process what God is speaking to us, we need the word of God. Because that's God's language. That's God's ways. That's how God thinks. That's how God works. We are not studying the Bible or memorizing the Bible primarily. We are understanding through the word of God the ways of God. There are a lot of people who know the word of God. There will be people who have memorized scriptures and incredible professors. But they do not know the ways of God because they haven't applied the word of God to understand the ways of God. 
And the whole purpose is to understand the ways of God so that we know this is how God functions. Now I am born of God. This is how I need to function. Then we start imitating Christ as Paul says, imitate Christ even as I imitate him or imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's why when we come to the the defensive part of the armor and move from there to the fighting part because we are at war. No army has ever won a battle in defense alone. Any army that has won a war has gone on the offensive. So we are not called to defend alone, which we should, but we also need to go on the offensive against this army or powers of darkness and ideas and ideologies. So scripture says in Ephesians, take the helmet of salvation. Every bike riders, they all know when bike accidents takes place, most of the casualties take place because of head injuries. Head injuries because they were not wearing a helmet. And almost all the casualties in the church happens because of head injury. Because your helmet was not in place. Your mind was not controlled by the word of God. So when the attacks came, you succumbed to the attacks because you had nothing to defend. You didn't know. The devil came in and said, if you are the son of God. You're hungry. You're hungry if you're the son of God. But his helmet was absolutely in place. Therefore he could reply, put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. This, the combinations the Bible gives are interesting. You need this. If you don't have the helmet of the salvation, then this doesn't work. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. It is the word of God. But it is processed here. If you doubt here, it will come, doubt will come out of your mouth. Then it doesn't work. It hasn't become the sword of the will. It just becomes a balloon with which you are hitting the devil. And he says, so nice, I love it. That's the problem. This and this goes together. And the problem is if our helmet isn't there in place, our thinking is not guarded, the sword will become ineffective. And we see praying always with all prayer that prayer is a weapon. Use the word of God as a weapon. We pray in the spirit as a weapon. Because the spirit will direct your prayer with the word of God so it becomes powerful. So we need to learn how to fight this battle primarily this 11th year. I really, really believe that there will be a lot of shift that will take place. Much of this war is personal and it's also corporate. One of the primary purposes the church, especially we as a church, exist is to equip the believer to fight this good fight. To fight this good fight. Everybody has to fight. And one of the primary purposes of the church outside is evangelism, inside is equipping every believer to fight this good fight. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, scripture says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So it suddenly starts telling you, what is the nature of this warfare? Primarily this warfare is not fought outside, it is fought here. Strongholds are established here. Those strongholds ideas have to be 
broken down, pulled down. Casting down arguments. Whenever you hear the word of God, there will be so many arguments going in your mind. Scripture says you have to cast an argument. How do you do it? You cast an argument with an argument. And that second argument, you frame it from the word of God. It is written. There was an argument that is coming into his mind. The devil is saying, you are the son of God. You are hungry. You have the power to stone stones to bread. That's an argument. Very powerful argument when your stomach is burning. Very powerful argument. But he cast that argument with another one, which is the word of God saying, but it is written. It is written. Man shall not live. You need an appropriate response to that argument, which is what the Spirit brings. That's where the Holy Spirit comes. Then it becomes the sword of the Spirit. Though you are speaking it, the sword of the word is being wielded by the Spirit of God through your mouth. That is why one of the reasons to make us understand the Holy Spirit is called Ruah or Wind. Because when you speak, what comes out of your mouth is air, representing the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit wraps up the word of God and it comes out of our mouth, it has power to demolish every high thing that exalts against the knowledge of God. Every argument in your mind, my mind is basically trying to lift itself above Christ, knowledge of God. God is there in the highest heavens. His throne is exalted over everything. And then there was one cherubim or, um, or archangel who was given, anointed seraphim who was there, whose name was Lucifer. And he wanted to exalt his throne above God's and he wanted to receive worship. He was cast down. And after he was cast down, he's been working with humanity from Adam to all the place, trying to receive worship which was meant for God to himself. How does he receive it? The knowledge of God is there. It is to that my worship, my allegiance, my loyalty, my duty, everything should be directed to that. He raised an argument that is above it. When I start receiving it, I worship the devil and not God. So scripture says, everything that exalts against the knowledge of God. You don't realize your worship is first determined in your mind. Not with the raising of your hands, not with the singing of songs, not during the first part of the worship service. Your worship is ultimately determined here. Who do you worship? What have you exalted? Have you exalted the knowledge of the living God or have you exalted something that contradicts the knowledge of the living God? And if it's the second one, we worship the devil because everything else originates from him. Every false idea originates from him. That's why Jesus called him the father of lies, the father of liars. So remember this, we slowly, day by day, we practice and learn to bring every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ. Not my obedience, I have to follow an obedience. When you fall, that's why I always am tougher with the older children among the younger ones. Because younger ones always tend to follow the older one. My eldest, we are five, we are the other four, I am the youngest. My oldest brother was there and there was so much upon him because we all grew up away from our parents. So when you saw the oldest one sitting and studying and no parents around, we were all automatically compelled to study because he studied. So everybody did well in academics simply because we chose to model our studies at him. And even till today, he's studying. 
His studies never stop. You see, that is what we are not trying to be obedient on our, we model the obedience of Christ Jesus. That's the obedience here. Scripture says in Hebrews 5, we don't have to turn over there. In the days of his flesh, with vehement cries and loud cries and tears, he cried out to the Father who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. And because he learned obedience through what he suffered. That's not the exact, I'm just quoting, I'm not Pastor Vijay, he can quote, okay? But I will tell you how it is garbled in my mind. But it is scripture. That's the obedience we need to come to. So we need to realize when scripture talks about prayer has a weapon, prayer Jesus personally used in his life has a weapon in weeping and crying to God to see that no false idea entered. He brought it to subjection. We think about prayer as intercession and supplication. We don't realize prayer, primary part of prayer is my personal life, me crying out to God, Lord help me to control my thoughts, bring my thoughts into alignment with the word of God and whatever contradicts, let me cast it down. And prayer is a weapon directed to spiritual warfare. That's where it's won or lost here. Because we are in a fight. And in this fight, primary purpose of the church within the church is to teach every believer how to fight. And the Bible calls it a good fight. It's not a bad fight. It is a good fight in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He's at the end of his life. He's going to be executed. And he says, I fought that good fight. It was fought here and manifested outside. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness for me and all the others who win this race. So scripture is talking about, this is a fight which you will fight till your end. And it's an incredible fight because there is a crown at the end of it if you are a winner. That's a winner. At the end, if you successfully complete this fight, There is an unbelievable crown reserved for everybody, everybody. See, that's what the purpose of the church is. We have to retrieve doctrine which has been lost or watered down. Doctrine is very important in the Bible because doctrine is how God functions, therefore the church functions. Doctrine either will be hidden or it will be watered out. And the job of every church in every age is to bring back the doctrine that was lost because we learn how to function and allow our lives to function according to those doctrines. So we teach, we disciple, we mentor. And as a church, personally, we, GTC, we give what God has given to us freely, back freely to the nations in the most effective and cost effective way. We don't splurge money on the preaching of the ministry. If you actually look at our budget, actually we spend on preaching of the ministry and the ends of the earth we have reached, you will see it is so cost effective because we do it in ways, instead of buying TV slots for hundreds and thousands and crores of rupees, we don't do any of those stuff. We simply realize internet is the best medium. Best medium. And we do it through the net, and through word of mouth. So we have to pass it on because that's our job. This is a battle to be fought daily, a battle to be won, and a crown to be gained. And verse 8 is actually talking about success. There is a day. Never count your success today. There's nobody in the earth who is successful. It will be decided then. 
The most successful man could be declared totally unsuccessful on that day. The crown will decide who finished their race well. And you need to know something about success. Success, even in this life on earth, is never an accident. Nadal or Federer, Nadal, Pastor Vijay, Federer, me. No, okay. They never woke up one day and says, how did I reach the top? Success is never an accident. Nobody succeeded accidentally. Any field, it's not an accident. Any area of life, any profession, nobody reaches the top by accident or succeeds by accident. But true success, true success is measured by the impact of our lives in eternity. That is why it is called that day. The day results are declared and there is a judge that day who will declare what success is. Success will be determined then. It will be determined. And we'll be very, we, we look at the successful businessman, uh, Bill Gates and Slim uh, or any of these people, but we need to realize most of these 500 fortune companies or Hollywood, Bollywood, you name all the successful people are not even in this race. So in God's perspective, your race begins only the day you are born again. Till then you are not even in the race. They receive no crown, there's nothing. They only, if they're not saved, they'll only receive a judgment of wrath, of condemnation. So, success has to be eternal, has to be measured in terms of eternity. So, put on, scripture says, if you want to succeed in this, there is a fight. You have to fight this fight, but put on the helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation meaning, you need information. Everyone sitting here is functioning on a set of received ideas. And as these ideas keep changing, growing, we keep changing. And these ideas have power to control your mind. Like I said in the beginning, and you heard a hundred times last week, whoever controls your mind, controls your body. True deliverance begins in the mind and manifested in the body. True deliverance begins here. And we have to overcome. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says... Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is our victory. This is the victory that has overcome the world. That is our faith. Everybody has to overcome the world. And you will say, why should I overcome the world? And what does it mean by overcoming the world? See, the world is not talking about just people or systems. Behind everything in the world, there is an idea. And there is an ideology. Everything is ideology driven. World is a set of ideas and ideologies. Egypt is not a nation alone. It is an ideology. God brought Israel out of Egypt, but they refused to break away from the thought pattern of Egypt. Therefore, they were destroyed. Your body can be sitting in the church and your mind can be elsewhere. Don't be scared. I'm looking at you to see your mind is also here. Because your body, their bodies was right there in the desert. And marching behind Moses. Left, right, left. Minds were in Egypt. Sitting at the pots and thinking, ah, oh, the fish. 
the meat. That's what boys do in church. They're sitting there in the movie theater, in their gaming parlors. It is Rome, yeah, Decathlon, and their wild pastor is preaching one shot. They have already put two there. Body is right here. Mind is all over the place. War has to remember, Egypt is an idea. It's a set of ideas. It's an ideology. That's why you will see how the idea, though they have walked for so many months and weeks and eaten the manna, drunk and walked under this leadership, they are rebelling against the ideas. And ultimately when judgment comes, they have rebelled ten times. Remember ten is the number for judgment. Ten times. In numbers, scripture says, twenty-one, oh no, not fourteen, fourteen, one to four, sorry, not twenty-one, fourteen, one to four. All the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had to die in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. What does it mean? It means when you gave us the, the gospel, you didn't tell that in the gospel there is fighting involved. You were told, come to Jesus, your life will be so nice, health, wealth and happiness. And then one day somebody told you, no, that's not the way it works. You will get health, you have to fight for it. You will get wealth, you will have to pay for it. Nobody told me I would have remained in the world. Why did you bring me over here? This is what happened. There are giants in the land. There are fortified cities. He promised us land. He promised us houses. He promised us all this. But he didn't say we have to fight. We thought we are getting it all free. They thought we can't fight. What did they say? They complained. Why has the Lord brought us this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and children should become victims. Would it not better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and go back to Egypt. See, the minds are always there. Minds are always there. If you all were given absolute freedom, I'm talking not about older people, they have some patterns in their life, young children, all the teenagers, ma, ma and uh, me and uh, other parents say, okay, after church, you, have, you can do whatever you want, we won't say a word. And we will give you money too. And if it was told, and if you are not washed, you will know exactly where you will go. Some will go to the theaters, some will go to the parlors, some will go shopping, because that's where your mind always was. And this body sitting here is useless. We don't have the power, they did not have the power to go back to Egypt Therefore, they were struggling under Moses. The minute they realized they have to fight, they said, you know what, this fellow will never let us go back. Let's get another leader, throw him out and let's go back to Egypt. Understand? If God were to give us the freedom, the power, where would we reach? The prodigal son was living in a wonderful father's house where the rules were good, there was everything, but he said, give me my inheritance. And we know when he was given the freedom and the power to make decisions and the power to keep those decisions, ultimately where he ended. Pig pen. But how did he reach the pig pen? Because his elder brother will say he threw away all his money on partying and prostitutes. So that was in his mind already when he had done one single thing. When he's living in his father's house, that's where his mind is. And when the father gave him the freedom and the money, he just reached there. So the question is, where is your mind today, teenagers? It doesn't matter where your body is today. 
Because a day will come when you will get a job and you have the money and you don't need a yes from anybody and that day will determine where you go. And all we are trying to do is before that day comes, structure is set over here, mind is aligned with the mind of Christ Jesus and therefore like Daniel or a Joseph, you are taken to the world in chains but you stand over there and you make a decision because even though your body is now in Babylon, your mind and heart is still aligned to Jerusalem. Therefore you say with your heart, I will not defile myself. That's the key. That's the key. If that doesn't happen, we lose this battle. Like they lost the battle. God could do everything he wanted. Mighty miracles. Break the power of the Pharaoh. Bring them out. Destroy the armies of Egypt. Manna from heaven. Water from the rock. Cloud by day. Fire by night. You name it, he did it everything. He didn't change their mind. If your mind doesn't change, nothing matters. Nothing matters. This is what we are talking about. This is the church. This is the challenge also to spiritual leadership always faces. Spiritual leadership always faces this challenge. Because the leadership, that's why we don't want this fellow. Because this fellow will always go to this wilderness signified by this tent, sit inside and come out and tell us something. We want a leader who will walk like us, talk like us, dress like us and be like us. We don't want this fellow who goes into that tent. Just call the tent of the meeting because he met God there. First he met God in the wilderness, then he met God in the mountain and then God came down and met him in the tent. And the next leader is chosen because the next leader who was a young man, when this man goes into the tent of the meeting, he will hang around there, around the tent. And God was watching that. And he said, you know what, Joshua, you got, Moses, you got two sons. But I see two dudes outside always hanging around the tent of meeting. I have picked them. I have picked them. They will lead the next generation. So this is the key. Everybody faces. You want to be really successful in the kingdom of God. Remember you are a leader. Even if you lead only yourself. You are still a leader. Don't let somebody who is not aligned to God to lead you. You can be a leader. If you align your mind to God. And the only one you lead all your life is you. Still a leader. That's why God pulls Abraham out of earth. says, leave earth. The ideas and the ideologies of Babylon doesn't suit you and you're called. Leave and go to the land. And in that land, don't stick around. Don't settle down. Keep on moving, moving. Because if you stick to one place, that idea will get you. Keep on moving. Keep on moving. Keep on moving. Spiritually, we have to keep on moving. We cannot be stagnant spiritually. The minute you are spiritually stagnant, another idea starts permeating in. Because this battle is daily. Constantly happening. That's why in this battle, there is no status quo. You have to win. If you don't win, you lose. You cannot hold on like this. No, you have to win. If you don't win, you will lose. So every one of them, you will see God will call them out and move them into a place where he can actually talk, whether it is Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Judges, you three are all, you will see this is happening. But wilderness experience is a must for anybody, boy, girl, man, woman, if you want to really succeed and receive that crown. 
Solomon, the wisest, the smartest, the richest young man in human history, never had a wilderness experience in his life. Therefore, he failed ultimately. He failed. Elijah, Elisha, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, all of them. You look at the successful people in the kingdom of God. What defined their success was that period in their life they spent alone with God so that God could frame their thinking. That's the reason you're spending time with God now to say how great the world. There's no point. Anybody who goes before God, the devil, the demon, everyone will one day fall and say he is Lord. That doesn't change their thinking. Scripture says the demons know there is only one God and they tremble. But they don't change their thinking. Your worship doesn't change your thinking. The word has to change your thinking. Then your thinking will change your worship. In Galatians chapter 1 and verses 15 to 18, the man who wrote one third of the New Testament says, When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. He says, I was separated through at my mother's womb. Now I look back and I realize, oh my gosh, everything that happened in my life was so that God would call me out for this. But when? To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years. Three years. Three years. It's almost a period consistently in the Bible. Three years. Disciples three years. The landowner, the farmer comes after three years to see if there is any fruit. What does it mean? It means three years of the ministry of the word of God has your thinking thinking changed. Because if your thinking has changed, it will start showing in your work. Paul, three years. Disciples, three years. You see, Babylon is an idea. And it's ideologies over which systems are built. In Galatians chapter, Genesis chapter 3 verses 3 and 4, scripture says, Then they said to one another, Come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone. Babylon, this is, this is, Babylon when it builds, replaces stone with brick. Stone is natural. This is man-made. Stone represents the truth of God that cannot be changed. That's why the Ten Commandments are written on stone and not on brick. So Babylon will replace the truth of God with their own ideas. That's on which Babylon is built. This brick and stone are just symbols about the ideologies on which stuff is built. Jerusalem is built on stone. And Jerusalem is built on a stone of which Jesus himself is called the cornerstone and not the corner brick. Babylon is built on brick. And Babylon says, come let us build ourselves a city, a tower, whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name. Babylon is built on self-recognition and not the recognition of God. And Babylon is built in opposition to the known will of God. God says, spread, multiply. They said, no, we will gather and build up. God says, spread. They will say, no, we will go up and we will challenge you. So Babylon is not just a city, it is an ideology. It's an ideology. And that ideology keeps on changing shapes. At the core it is all the same because it's built on the man and on self and on selfishness unlike God's city. 
At the end, this is what is prophesied about Babylon, this world system. In Revelation 18 verse 10, standing at a distance for fear of her torment saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, in one hour your judgment has come. Judgment has come. You need to realize, ideologies, if it is true, will last over and over and over and over time. No ideology lasts. It cannot last. It will be crushed. When judgment comes, that ideology, you will realize you believe in so many things. But if what you believe is true, when the testing comes, why do you fall? The ideology should have held you up there. That's why the apostles and the martyrs down the centuries were willing to die for their faith. Because they knew what they believed was true. If you believe something is true, you are willing to die for it. Because you know it is true. The end of Babylon is prophesied in Revelation 18.10 and in verses 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone. He didn't take up a brick like a big mill brick. He took a stone. And threw it into the sea saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. Though it is their picture given, ideology wise it is saying that the truth of God, Jesus Christ, the word of God, the truth of God will destroy every ideology on which these world systems are built. It will be destroyed. Thus with violence, the sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters, gaming, I'm adding, okay? Gaming, decathlon, malls shall not be heard in you anymore. All will be gone. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. YouTube videos, Bollywood videos, Hollywood, Mollywood, Tollywood, everything. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. Then, the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery. So behind your ideology, there was something that was happening in the darkness. There was sorcery involved. Men and demons coming together and entrapping the minds of people. So nothing was neutral. There was sorcery involved. When God says something, it is not neutral. There is the spirit of God involved and he is the spirit of truth. When the devil brings something, he uses sorcery using men and that captivates our minds and we become addicts to ideas. So instead of being led by the truth, these ideas have made us into fanatics. We wonder, how did you become like that? How did you become like that? And finally, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Ideas kill people. Ideas do kill people. Remember. In Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, the apostle begs. We saw that last Sunday too. What? I beseech you brethren, this is about the, the body being offered and then do not be conformed to this world. When it says do not be conformed to this world, what does it mean? From your nail polish to your earring to your clothes to your shoes, there is an idea behind it. You think things are neutral? They're not neutral. Nothing is neutral. It's absolutely nothing is neutral. Because everything in the physical world is compressed by the spiritual. Meaning we are sitting over here, the air surrounds every inch of us. The spiritual world is like that. There is absolutely nothing 
that is neutral. That is why scripture says every perfect and good gift comes from above. And scripture says anything in the marketplace, don't ask questions. Because if you ask questions, you will not be able to buy it. Then you will end up dying because nothing in the marketplace is untouched by sorcery. Therefore, receive it without questions, pray over it, sanctify it and partake of it because nothing is neutral. Nothing is neutral. Everything has a spiritual connotation to it. And what Babylon wants is confirm. I think I'm the only one, and the Pastor Vijay, I'm slowly changing him. Okay, slowly, but not totally. It's moving fast. Okay, I think we, I'm the only one. You have seen me for how many years? Have you seen me in anything else other than like this? But you all have changed. You saw the pictures, you know? Has the world changed? You changed with the world. Why? Because the pressure is intense to conform to the pattern and you have no strength to fight it. In little things. These are little things which may not really matter. But if you are not able to resist little things, the question is, what will you do when big things come? If you cannot resist wine, oh Daniel, how are you going to resist women? If you cannot resist the meat, how are you going to resist money? They buy the meat. That's where we reorient our minds and say, Lord, I am not. Because Babylon demands conformity. So if you go to India, you will see a movement in this country in the past three years. Churches conform to our ideology. You can, you can have the Lord of churches have buckled under pressure and they are changing the way from candles to dia and this thing and music and dress and everything. Now, now priests are coming dressed like Brahmins. Why? Confirm. We'll allow you if you confirm. You can do your, we will set the package and you just process it from the middle of it so that what you say looks like us. If you go to China, lots of churches. And they will bring news reporters and say, we have freedom of religion in this country. See, thousands upon thousands in the churches. But every message of the pastor, the priest, is given by the Communist Party. Confirm. It's a problem. So the battle is fought or won here. And every martyr in human history, the saints in the Bible, they died for how they thought. That's where it began. This is what Caesar says, think. He said, sorry, this is how we think. They said, you can choose to reject this and accept this or die. He said, we will die. Put on the helmet. Who has your head? Who has access to your eyes and ears? Especially these formative years. Especially when you are young. Especially when you are young, either in age as a baby or young in the Lord. There has to be unity of goal. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 verses 21 to 23, for all the young parents sitting at the back, 
Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. And Hannah did not go, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah's husband said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed, nursed her son, until she had weaned him. The man was a wise man. He looked at her and said, You know what? You are the most spiritual among the two of us. If our son belongs to God and has to serve God, you should be mentoring him more than I. And you know what? I leave it to you. Take care of him until he's ready to be given over to God. Because you know what? Children hear and watch. That's how they imitate. They don't read. They don't read. They don't listen to your lectures. They hear, they watch. They hear, they watch. So when Hannah is praying, so you will see on the GTS pro, GTC profile, on the GTC, this thing, my wife is praying, and the little baby that was abandoned in a dustbin and picked and given to us, beside her and praying. The other pictures you don't know. Every two seconds she will look. Because this one never stops praying. And this one is getting tired because she was imitating without reality. But she's imitating. And I believe Samuel watched his mother and he imitated her life. And by the five years, five years, six years of weaning was over, he had got the God of Hannah in her. So he could be, he could be left in the temple run by reprobates. It didn't make any any difference because his mind is already programmed to go in God's ways. Instead, what do we do? We pick for the biggest hi-fi schools in the city. Kids, Euro kids and what? African kids and American kids and all that we pay through our nose to get them in so that one day they will become reprobates. Because in the first four or five years of your life, your mind is already set. Then to change that thinking pattern is what is called salvation. Beginning of the change of thinking pattern. This young guy, whose father, mother framed him. You know what scripture talks about him in First Samuel chapter three nineteen. So Samuel grew, grew, and the Lord was and did not let any of his words fall to the ground. Why? Because his mind was framed by the law of God. And who was responsible for that? His mother. That's why scripture says the wise woman, wise woman. Builds a home. If you're a wise woman, you build your home. It's in your hands. The father goes out to work, he comes in the evening. But the child is walking around, holding on to your apron and watching everything that you do. If you have a child, send him John Wesley. It's because Susanna was the Hannah of that generation. They watched their mother. They watched her loyalty, her love for the Lord, her prayer life, her principles. And they said, you know what? The minds were programmed that way. They step forward and God says, you are ready to be used. And therefore think, as sisters, as mothers, young mothers sitting over here, fathers sitting over here, do you have the helmet of salvation? And then when you come to the Lord, let us say you didn't have it, you came to the Lord later, then scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word. You have to do it. You ask any mother sitting over here, they never fed them anything other than milk the first six months. Not even water. I asked one of the mothers when the baby was, do you give the water? No, the pediatrician said no water. Only milk. What does it mean? Literally, seriously, like it happened to me 30 years ago. 
more than 30, 34 years ago. When I got saved, I did not go to college for three weeks. I did not. I just sat there and read one book and one book alone. It was my good news Bible. Nothing. I'm not going to eat anything else. I'm not going to watch anything else. I'm not going to do anything else. My career is not more important than my soul. Yes, my father put me in here. Yes, my father is paying for it. But there is something which my father has not paid for, which my redeemer has paid for. Which my father could never pay for. I love my father. I honor my parents. But there is something bigger than that. Shut down. Went to eat. Came back. Went to eat. Came back. And I sat there and read it over and over and over and over again. So that my mind would be free. I did not even know what I was doing. Later I found it was scriptural. Newborn babes. That's what scripture says. When the church began in Jerusalem. They gathered steadfastly. Firstly, in the apostles' doctrine. And then further down it says, next verse, so continuing, daily they came for teaching. And daily they ate in different homes. And I realized back and says, that's what I did. I read the word of God daily from morning to evening. Went to the mess, ate and came back. Went to the mess, ate and came back. That's what I did. Put a premium on your soul. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 31, this is what Paul says. Therefore, watch and remember for three years I did not cease to warn you every night and day. What does it mean? He says, Ephesus, my job is over. I've taught you for three years, day and night. If you haven't got it now, you're never going to get it. If your minds are not programmed by now, according to programming, okay, it's that a software language. If your minds are not defined by the word of God, it's not going to happen. Three years, Jesus, Paul, Everybody, three years, three years, put on the helmet of salvation. And if you are not, starting today. That's why I always told you young kids when you go on vacation, 40 day vacation, two month vacation, don't waste your time. Don't waste in your time. In most cases, because children hardly hear, see the Bible being lived out. Then they go to the world and their minds are framed. And in their minds, they are rebels. Bodies are in the church. Minds are wandering in the world. The children of Israel, over and over and over, every decision you and I take to is ultimately spiritual. That's why we say, whoever has your mind, has your body. Scripture says in Psalm 23, You anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil and then my cup overflows but like we say in the in the in english they say slip between the cup and the lip he anoints my head with oil the purpose of the anointing is to work on what is in the head what happens if you anoint an empty head You anoint an empty head. That is Samson's head. Empty head. It's not empty. It's empty of scripture and scriptural principles. Anointing is very powerful. So you know what? The anointing skirts his head. Goes into his arms and his body. It doesn't touch his mind. So he will do jadu. Nothing that glorifies God only glorifies it. You will go to a Philistine prostitute's house. Sleep over there. Wake up in the morning and take the gates and walk about. Wow, what a great deed. Because they messed him up, he takes his fox, his firefox, remember? 
ties them and leaves. What glory does God get in any of these things? Sleeps in a Delilah's lap, he's taken captive, eyes are going up, Lord, Lord, please, one more time, please. God says, okay, at least die in glory. Anointing on the head, empty head. That's where information comes. The world deals with facts and lies, but God deals with truth. He is truth, the spirit is the spirit of truth, and his word is truth. In John 17, verse 17, scripture says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What does it mean? First is the ministry of the word. 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 Sanctify means set apart for a holy use. Set apart for holy use. He sets you apart through the ministry of the word in your mind. If you are not set apart in your mind, the anointing will never come. If you are not set apart in your Mind. If your mind is not being sanctified by the word of God, when it is sanctified, the anointing will come. And when the anointing comes, it will work for you. The hand of the Lord was upon me. Elijah is somewhere up there in the mountain. That's how God works. He will take you from the mountains in the spirit and he brought me into a valley. A valley of bones, not ordinary bones, dry bones. And he says, son of man, will these bones live? He said, you know, Lord. He said, speak to the bones. Speak to them. He says, first speak to the bones. The, there's a loud noise. The bones are all falling into place. A rattling noise. The bones are all into place. Then he says, speak to the wind. You don't speak to the wind first. You speak to the bones first. Once doctrine is set in, then the Holy Spirit comes. Then you rise up as a mighty army that can take over this nation. The order. You look at the order always. Order is speak to the bones. You may be sitting like dry bones over here. Very dry. But our job is to speak to the bones so that it falls into place in your mind. This is the kingdom of God. This is how God functions. It's all falling into place. The anointing comes. You can overcome. But if it doesn't fall into place. So it doesn't matter what your current career is. In your mind you must be set apart. And the body will follow. The body can be trained by the mind. You know that? Your body can be trained by like Archie sang. We know Archie is a semi-classical singer. Why? How does her tongue perform like that? She was born with a gift? No. She used her mind to train her tongue. She used her mind over a period of time and exercised her tongue in particular ways according to the instruction and she trained everyone who plays different. It was the mind that trained their hands and their fingers and their ears. The mind can train the body. Everybody. Any any field. Any field. You think about it. Any field. It is the mind that works first. That trains parts of your bodies to excel. Yes, young little one sitting in the front. It's your mind. You want to be an excellent student. It's the mind. You don't want to work. You just want to be a housewife and a mother. It is the mind that will teach you to be an excellent mother. There are many mothers. But there are biblical mothers. It's the mind which falls into place. Remember that. It's your mind. That's why you struggle to listen. Because the devil knows if you listen... If somebody gets your ear other than him, you're gone. And the most powerful, dangerous, and blessed ideas have come from minds. 
Like I told yesterday to the pastor. Karl Marx was a small man. But the idea he brought forth was powerful to destroy lives of millions and frame nations. Small man. You don't need to be like Samson. An idea is enough. Mao was a small man. Lenin, Stalin, Napoleon, all of them were small men. They were not powerful because of their size or their work. They were powerful because of their ideas. Their ideas. What's happening in the US is two ideologies clashing. Ideas. Represented by different people. But it is ideas. And they hate somebody. Not because of who he is. Because of who, what he represents. If you ask them in this past two years or one year, hasn't the economy grown? Yes. It's almost four meaning in the first world. It's a, the fastest growing economy. Yes. Hasn't unemployment reached to the level to below three, which means almost every American has a job now? Yes. Are you all not making money? Yes. Why do you hate him? Because the idea he represents. Ideas. Remember that. Ideas. But this book in worldly terms is a set of ideas which is called the doctrine of Christ. There is no powerful idea that has ever come than this. It is called the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, meaning every ideology on earth will pass away. Ideology in heaven to Satan's, every ideology will pass away. Your word forever, O Lord, is settled in the heavens. And John 1, chapter 1, verse 1, 2, 3 are all declarations of this ideology. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. What an idea, Sergi. What an idea. Meaning, we sitting in the churches are being given the idea about every other idea. The ideology about every other ideology. And God says, do you see how we struggle to receive it? Why every other idea is sold with incentives. You want to sell furniture, half naked girl. You want to sell a cell phone, another one. Truth stands on its own. It will hang on the cross and it can hang alone. It is not sell, sold with incentives. This is truth. Receive it, you are free. That is the primacy of this kingdom. That is why Jesus said, repent for the... What does repent mean? Change of mind. Change your mind, everything will change. Don't change your mind, nothing will change. Change your mind. Why? A kingdom is here. A kingdom of unbelievable idea. Ideology and power. And the future and the primacy of this kingdom is shown to us who is within the kingdom at the end. In Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. The seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in the heaven and saying, The kingdoms of this world. The ideologies that frame different nations of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Seated. His kingdom overrules everything else. Therefore the battle is in the mind. 
That's why Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. Oh, where, where, where? Not in your stomach, in your head. In your head. If it's not in your head, it is not anywhere else. That's why he knew a lot of people would think with the stomach. So he said, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, you see. The kingdom of India is eating and drinking. One rupee rice, everybody will go. Next fellow says, 50 paisa, go to the other side. TV, ah, Amma, best Amma, Amma canteen, best Amma. He says, kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Kingdom of God is righteousness. Those who do not seek righteousness will never find the kingdom. Will never find the kingdom. Ideas and ideologies, see how it is marketed. If somebody is coming behind the pulpit and trying to market the kingdom in terms of food and drinks and material things, you know what? The doctrine is false. The doctrine is false. They are trying to change the nature of the kingdom. In the nature of the kingdom, we put righteousness and the kingdom of God first. All these things, God says, will follow you. That's part of the kingdom. You don't have to run after it. It will follow you. It will. So scripture says, be careful how you think. Very, very careful. Like I said yesterday, I don't know what I told you once. When I said, do not make permanent decisions on temporary Situation, circumstances. Be very careful. The devil will use temporary things and try to make you, you make a permanent decision. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, scripture says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. His birthright is eternal. Your hunger will pass away. It's not that I'm going to die. No, you are not going to die. You're a strong man. How can you die if you miss, miss a meal? You're not going to die. For that one meal, don't sell away. Hunger is real. It's real. But it's temporary. Don't make. Be very, very, very careful. Be very, very, very careful. Hunger and desires which is there in the body are legit. Don't throw away eternal things for temporary things. It's God who put it in the body. Devil did not give us anything. The devil takes what God said is good and tries to warp it. The desire for pleasure is put by God. Do not put by man for he says in my right hand there is. The devil says no, you take two pegs, pleasure unlimited. What is he trying to do? He's trying to take now through the body, he's trying to captivate your mind. Who's an addict? Who's an alcoholic? An alcoholic is somebody whose mind has been captivated through the body. Any addict, gaming, sports, anything. You can be addicted to anything. Sex. Sex was put there by God. It was there before the fall. And he saw this sexual desire put in Adam and Eve. And he said, it is good. It is legit. That's why Tiger Woods had to go for sex addiction classes to be de-addicted. Because it's got nothing to He's got a Miss World or Miss whatever nation has his wife. It didn't make any difference. Because this is an addiction. Your mind has been captivated by your body. The devil is after your mind. 
He doesn't care about your body because he knows if he has his your mind, he's got your body. You see addicts, absolute total addicts. They will kill their father and mother to get a fix because the mind is gone. The only thing their mind says is, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. I can't handle it. Understand that. Mind, mind. The devil is after our mind. That is what he was trying to do with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was allowing it. If you are the son of God, then hunger is legit. So what does he say? I am the son of God. Therefore, I will satisfy my desire according to legitimate ways. It is written. If I am, you should reply that. I am a child of God. If I am a child of God, these desires are put in there by God and the desire will be met in God's ways, not your ways, O world. I am a child of God. That's why I cannot meet my needs the way others meet. Because I have ways prescribed by my God. And in that there is safety. In that there is fulfillment. In that there is joy forevermore. That is where temptations and tests are actually aimed at God's children. Not at others. They don't experience temptation like we do. The same temptation for a believing child and unbelieving child is not the same. When he falls, there is no problem. When you fall, you need to repent. When he falls, he doesn't have to repent. Because first he has to repent and accept God. Then only he daily repents. For him his mind is conditioned by however he has been brought up. His father says it is okay. His mother says it is okay. Then it is okay for him. But for a child of God, even if your father says it is okay, the mother says it is okay, it is not okay because his mind is being framed by God's standards and the spirit of God is convicting inside and says, you sinned against me. You sinned against me. That's what happened to David. Everybody said it is okay. Nobody knows about it. Spirit of God is convicting. He's not able to sleep. His bones are wasting away. And Nathan comes and says, you are that man. He said, I am that man. And when he opens his mouth in Psalm 51, what he says is against you and you alone. I have sinned. That is not something an unbeliever is able to say. The Muslim doesn't say, Allah, I sinned against you. The Hindu doesn't say, Krishna, I sinned against you. The Buddhist doesn't say, Buddha, I The believer says, Lord, I have sinned against you. That's the difference. So temptations are unique to a believer. Our temptations are different. And we, we, we battle it in our mind. We battle it in our mind. Because the head, the head, do we have the helmet of your salvation on in place? That's what the Bible says. Do not be hasty in the laying of hands because you may be passing an anointing on an empty head or a rebellious head. That's why when people come to pray to me, I ask you, what do you want me to pray for? I don't know. Let me pray over you. No, I don't want my anointing to pass on an empty head. To receive this anointing, it costs me. Years and years and years of my life. I'm not going to pass on to somebody who's an empty head. Or who's a rebellious head. Who doesn't value the word of God. And the kingdom of God. And Bible says do not be hasty. So what do you want? Well, no, I, I want to study well. Okay, no problem. Lord, I pray this child will study well. That's okay. Bible is very clear. 
A full head is also useless without anointing. Ask the Pharisees, full head, and they cannot recognize the anointing. Hundreds of people are coming to get baptized. Right? Jordan probably is full. John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus. We tell you, one anointed man sees the anointing descend on another man. Nobody saw. Nobody saw. Takes an anointed man or a woman to recognize another. Because the anointing is the same. Nobody saw. They all stood there. They all watched him. They saw this another Jewish dude going. Scripture doesn't realize. They don't realize. Another man heard the voice of God. He saw the spirit. Nobody heard. Nobody saw. Remember. The head. He who has your head. Has your body. Let's recap quickly some of the heads in the Bible. Which were lost. Or found. Judges chapter 16. She lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Munna soja, munna soja. Where is the strongest anointed man in the book of Judges? Sleeping on Dalila's lap. At the time he wakes up, anointing is gone. Prophesied before he was born. Consecrated in his mother's womb. Set apart for a mighty deed. This is the one upon whom the spirit of God moved with power. Even in his disobedience, God used him. You can be your Philistines are upon you. And God has prophetically and gone ahead of him. Prepared the hour and the day for him. He looks and he doesn't realize. Months before a donkey had died. And the donkey's bones have been wasted. And one donkey's ass bone is over there. He takes that and kills him. Because even for a, a disobedient guy. Because of the anointing. There is a provision there. But finally... He takes his head and puts on the world, lap of the world and God says, let it go. And the final picture we have of him in the Philistine camp which is seen in verse 21. It says, the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, they bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. When we see this picture, you need to realize this is just the body following the mind. Before he reached it, his mind was already in the Philistine camp. God says, this is the nature of sin. You thought as you slept with all these Philistine girls, you were a cool dude. He said, you were not, you were a slave of the devil. Now let the world see what you really are in the physical. Blind, bound, serving your enemy. When you should be stamping the enemy in his head, you are serving the enemy because the body just followed where the mind was always. Or you just follow. That's why your mind, children, your mind, your mind, your mind. When you see Ruth, a Moabitess, born of drunkenness and of incest, of whom God said up to ten generations, you will not enter into my presence. No more Moabite will enter into my presence. 
That's how after Judges, the book of Ruth begins. But when Ruth opens her mouth and she confesses what is in her heart, scripture says, Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord so do to me. The Lord is saying, living in the land of Moab, the body of a Moabite, the mind of a Jerusalemite. Take her in. She needs to be joined to my family. So it doesn't matter where what your body is. What matters is where your mind is. Her mind was in Jerusalem even while living in Moab. And he said she needs to be in Jerusalem. Go to Bethlehem and be joined to my family link. Because where the mind goes, the body will follow. Where is your mind today? Where is our mind? And there is another one. You see the pattern as it begins. Eli or Eli, the high priest and judge during Samuel's time. He's big, fat, blind, spiritually blind, compromised. Everything is compromised. His sons are running riot. The father doesn't bother allow them to run the ministry as they please. The totally compromised scripture says his eyes are dim. There is no open vision. There is no hearing of the world. God is speaking audibly. Nobody hears in the temple. A little four or five year old boy alone hears because his mother has brought him up where his ears are sanctified. His mind is sanctified. His body is sanctified. So that when all of them are going around and Hopni and Phineas are sleeping with the women right in the temple. Here is this little boy sleeping in front of the ark and the Lord speaks and he hears. He hears. So you're not too young to hear. You're not too young to hear. Lie before the Ark of the Covenant. Even in your sleep. You will hear. When you lie before the Ark of the Covenant. You are saying I am set apart. As a testimony of the living God. Before that it was called the Ark. But when his testimony was put into it. It was called the Ark of Testimony. And before the testimony of God. This little boy is sleeping. Therefore he hears the voice of the living God. And scripture says they fight, they lose, Hopni and Phineas die, the report comes to Eli, sons are dead, the ark is gone. And you know what scripture says over there? It happened when he made the mention of the ark of God. Eli fell off the seat backwards by the side of the gate and his neck was broken. God says your head is dislocated from the rest of your body because this head was a head that compromised my body. I'm showing judgment before the eyes of the people because the head is the seat of the government. The government is broken. And the government is shifting from Eli to Samuel. Because that's what head means. The head of Christ is God. Meaning the government of your mind. Your mind is your government seat. Whoever controls your mind governs your life. The head of Christ was God. is God. And scripture says the head of man is Christ. The head of woman is man. It's a change of government. In 1st Samuel chapter 10, we saw that yesterday also, Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you? That is Saul. The oil is poured upon him. He's anointed. He's got a new heart and a new spirit. He does a few things, but his mind is empty. There's no word in there. And he goes in the ways of all flesh. Pride comes in. He starts blowing his trumpet. The Philistines all gather around him. He doesn't know how to fight. And he fights God's anointed. He fights against God. His ears are shut. He cries out to God. There is no response. There is no answer. He goes into witchcraft. And finally his death is described in First Samuel, the last chapter. 
It happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain. They found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilbo and they cut off his head. Because Saul represents an idea. You are the one who will overcome us Philistines. So they took his head and says, we have overcome your idea. Yet when David came to the wilderness with bread for his brothers and Goliath came, huge, massive idea, ideology representing you fight us, if we win, you serve us, you win, we leave. All these ideas for the mind is taking place. David comes and he takes one stone in his sling and he swings it, it hits his forehead, signifying this is the idea that has kept God's people covering in fear, hiding in the caves, running in fear. This idea, I will break with one stone. But that's not enough. He falls to the ground. He goes, takes his sword, cuts his head off and brings the head back to the city and says, this is the idea that terrified you. Did you see it? The power of an idea. That's what the head symbolizes. And God says, who, who controls you? Who controls you? Who controls your mind? Is it God or this world? God or this world? Cut off! Pull down! Bring to captivity! That's what David is saying. Have brought to captivity. The Philistine ideology. This is, this terrified you? See what I have done. Am I big? No. Am I strong? No. But my God is strong. You come against me with the spear, the javelin, the sword. I come against you in the name of Yahweh, Shabbat. The Lord of hosts. I come in his name. You see? The power of an idea. The power of truth. Ahitophel served David with his head, with his body. He served him. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Three bags full, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. But in his mind, he was plotting and planning for the day when he could destroy his king. His king was his head. He was plotting against his head. One day he got the chance. He went over to the enemy camp, sold his head out, and then God turns the tables. When God turns the tables, you know Ahitophel's end? Scripture records. Ahitophel saw that his advice was not followed. He saddled a donkey, Eros went to his home, then he put his household in order, and there he is hanging on from the fan in his house. He didn't have a fan, but he had a rafter. There he is hanging. Why? Because his head betrayed him. He used his head to betray his head. Therefore, he is hanging from the head. Whoever has your head has your body. The devil had his head. The devil took his body. Absalom, Absalom, handsome young dude, handsome young son, beautiful, handsome, good looking, great hair, great PR skills. He won the hearts of the people. He camouflaged his heart and his mind. He pretended he was the best PR guy any company could hire. He won. But in his mind, he was plotting against his father first to his king. Unlike Ahitophel, plotted against the king, his head. Absalom plotted against his father, his head, and his king, his head. Two plots. One is patricide, the other is regicide. Two different terms. Finally, his end. Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth, so he was left hanging between heaven and earth. 
Earth said, we vomit him. He went against his king. Heaven said, we don't want him because he went against his father. Hanging there between. Because where your head goes, your body will follow. Joab comes. What does he do? Next words. Joab said, I cannot linger with you. He took three spears in his hand and thrust it through Absalom's heart. He said, you betrayed your king with your head. You betrayed your father with the heart. Die. Bible is very clear. That's why this is what matters. Get your ideas correct. Because where your head is today, your body will follow. Tomorrow meaning not tomorrow, but in a certain period of time. Certain. The head of woman is man. Woman is man. We'll come to that later, what kind of a man it should be. Jezebel was the head. She replaced the head. She did everything in the name of her husband. The actual head, she, it was her. Ahab was just a power broker. She is the one who handled the strings of power. So when her death comes, Jehu will come and she's looking through the balcony with her head out, with her eyes painted and opens her mouth and speaks. Jehu says, you, Yunus, are you with me? They said, yes. Throw her down. Scripture doesn't describe in graphic detail, but I really believe she came down and her skull cracked open and the whole mess was there on the floor because it is with the head she plotted wicked nuggets against the God of Israel. Because Ahab represents an ideology that started in the city of Babylon. It's continuing today, till today in the halls of higher learning centers. That ideology is continuing. So he said, throw her headlong down. And this idea of Ahab and Jezebel is continuing. It has to be stamped out. So Jehus wrote letters to everybody in the city and said, Ahab has 70 sons. And if you are with me and with the Lord, I want their heads tomorrow. 70 sons were picked, heads were cut off, put in baskets and given to Jehu. Meaning the head represents an idea. Every thought, every imagination has to be brought to the captivity of Christ Jesus. Don't even leave the little ones out because they represent an idea which will grow later and take over your mind. Graphically given in the Old Testament so that we spiritually understand its implications in the New Covenant. What these things mean. Children don't get fooled. The kingdom of God, scripture says, is like a merchant who went to a field and found this pearl of incredible value. He went back and he sold everything and he went there to possess this. If you don't seek after the kingdom like that, you're wasting your time on earth. Because there is nothing of greater value in this life than the kingdom of God and the king who rules over that kingdom. Oh, John the Baptist preached a message. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. Oh, people were broken. They repented. Others were angry, mad. Then he looked at Herod and said, you dude, you took your brother's wife. He had no, because truth doesn't stumble before kings. Agrippa, Felix, Paul, when he started talking about righteousness and self-control, the king started shaking. The prisoner is standing there. 
The prisoner is not shaking before the king. The king is shaking before the prisoner. Because the prisoner's mouth and his mind is framed by the word of God and the truth of God. And the truth of God is like a double-edged sword. Kings and nations and dispensations have come down before it. It took one man called Apostle Paul, a small little man, a man who was practically half-blind, wrote one-third of these gospels. Those gospels broke the Roman Empire down in 300 years. There is no more Rome. One man. And an ideology given to him by God. Power of an idea. John the Baptist takes, or Herod takes John the Baptist and puts him in prison. But John the Herod has a problem. Every day he will go to listen to John. He's like an addict. He needs his fix. He's sinning, but he needs a fix. Okay, you tell me, scold me, it is okay. At least I can feel good, I sinned, but I also listen to a scolding. Then like the dog that returns to his vomit, he will go back. Then again, he will go back. But somebody is watching. Herodias is watching. And she knows. This man, the king continues like this. That man will change his mind. And if he changes his mind, I am out of this palace. So one day the king is drunk. And he calls her daughter and says, Salome, go dance. And she goes and dances. The king is drunk. He looks at a young, probably teenage girl, half naked dancing. And his mind is no longer sober. His mind is captivated by the enemy. Feelings and pleasure and lust takes over. He says, ask of me even half of my kingdom I will give to you. She goes and asks his mommy, what should I ask? She said, ask for John's head. Because that head is taking over the mind of this man. Get his head. Little later, on a platter, the head of John is brought. Because that head represents a voice and a kingdom. But when it represents the voice and the kingdom of God, even though you take one head off, other heads will rise up and Jesus will rise up and say the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. They take that head, put him on the cross, silence his voice, 120 arise upon the Pentecost day and says, repent for the kingdom of God. You take that 120 out, another 2000 will rise up and say, repent for the kingdom of God. Because the voice of truth cannot be silence. It cannot be silence. So be careful where your head is and who has your head. Because ultimately if you lose your head if you lose your head you have lost everything. That's what people say. The drunk man who never got drunk comes back and say, tells his wife I don't know how I lost my head. Exactly that's what you lost. The gambler who has gambled the fortune away, maybe we can call him Yudhishthira. He comes and he will tell his wife, I have no clue how I lost and I sold our wife also. Our wife, not my wife, our wife. Okay. I think I just, in that moment, I lost my head. Don't lose your head. You may not get it back. Judas walked with Jesus. Prayed with Jesus, ministered with Jesus, healed with Jesus. He walked and he walked and he walked and he liked all the trappings of power, but he did not like the price of power. We like the trappings of power, we do not like the price of power. So he realized, I need to sell him. He was already selling him even when he was walking with him because scripture says his hand was always in the money bag. One day, he sold him. His head 
was in the enemy camp while his body was walking with Christ. So Acts chapter 1 verse 18 describes this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong. Headlong. Yesterday I told the pastors, how did he fall? Apostle number 12, how did he fall? Headlong. Why? Because he betrayed his head with his head. Not only that, another graphic description is given in the Bible. He burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. So God is saying, I want to be very sure that you know this, that nobody will change history. Out of your belly, Judas, I had prophesied, rivers of living water will flow. But what came out is muck and dirt because you sold your head out for money. I'm telling you, when you read the Bible and ask God to show you things, it scares you. That's why Paul will say, knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men. I understand who is the loving God and the severe God. The kindness of God and the severity of God. The love of God and the terror of God. He says, know it. Let no one fool you. Because nobody falls or fails away in faith in one day. It's a process. That's where the word of God comes. That's where the word of God comes. That's where the word of God comes. The word of God is in our mind. And we are constantly meditating on our mind. We are looking at an argument from the world. Counter argument. We know this is truth. We take it. We throw it out and replace it. Don't leave it empty. It's like casting demons out of a body and leaving it empty. That fellow will go and come back with seven other ideas. Earlier you had only humanism. Now you have humanism, communism, feminism, socialism. Everything has come in. Because when you took humanism out, you did not replace with the doctrine of Christ. So ultimately you don't know who you are. Sometimes you talk like a feminist, act like a feminist, talk like a feminist, dress like a feminist. Sometimes you are a humanist. Sometimes you are with a red flag, sometimes with a rainbow colored flag. You don't know who you are because you did not replace what was taken out with the word of God. Confusion. Scripture says there is no shadow of turning with thee. There is no confusion with God. Our God is a God of order. He says in the beginning, He created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void and the earth was dark. Darkness covered the earth and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. God doesn't do anything in random. He says, let there be light. Order comes. Light is divided from the darkness and the evening and the morning was the first day. What order? Second day, the evening and the morning. Third day, the evening and the morning. There is order in God's kingdom. Is there order in our mind? One minute thinking about cooking, the other minute thinking of washing, next thing thinking pastor is speaking, come back, then go. Is there order in our mind? Or is it all around the place? Train, discipline your mind to listen. That's the first discipline. Scripture says about Jesus, morning by morning you awakened me and you gave me the tongue of the instructor because you taught me to listen. That's the first lesson. God the Father taught his son. Son, learn to listen. When the Spirit speaks to you, listen. Because if you listen, you will learn how to speak. Moses said, I cannot speak. God said, can you listen? You can listen, you can speak. 
No, Lord, I cannot speak. I smatter. I, 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 I stammer. It's okay. Your brother will speak for you before the people. But he will speak for me. Lord, I cannot speak. No problem. Can you listen? Listen. He listened for 40 days before God and came down with what he listened. This is the law of the Lord. Every nation after that, every constitution has been framed on what he listened and he brought down. Can you listen? Can we listen? Because it's here it all begins. It's here it all begins. It's with the mind. The prodigal son is living in his father's house. But his mind is not there. He's eating the food. He's wearing the clothes his father has given. He's riding the horse which the father has given. He's making the servants do all the servants his father has provided. Well-to-do family, everything is care of. But his mind is there in the world. Mind is there. He's just gathering his courage. One day he gathers his courage and he tells father, I need my inheritance. Why does the father give? He'll struggle. Oh, that's not right. If I was the father, I would not have given. No, that's not true. The reason is the father knew his son well. You cannot hold their body back when the mind is already gone. I tell that to women. I tell that to men. Once you know your husband's mind is already gone and he's not going to come, why are you compromised and holding you? I don't care if you sleep with 15 other women. Just come back at home in the night. You are a compromiser, not he. The mind is already gone. You're holding onto a dead body. Parents also need to realize. It's only one way. Let them go. If you don't let them go, sooner or later they will make your house a big pen. Let him go. He goes. He goes. He has a blast. It won't last too long. One day he's in the pig pen, sitting with the pigs and looking at the hogwash and he's hungry and he's hungry and he's hungry and then he thinks. See, hunger makes his wine pink. See, the devil was using Jesus' hunger to make him think with his idea. Instead, God used his hunger to make him think about his father's table. He suddenly thinks, Beef nahi hai. India mein to beef nahi hai. Baki sab kuch hai. He came to his senses. In terms of food, he did realize, my father is a righteous man. He always took care of me. He always took care of me. What did he deny me? Did he deny me anything that was good? That is how you should remember the people. I'm telling you the children who are orphans. That is how you should always remember the people in your life. Did you ever lack in these 10 years? If you have seen with a child who is from a home, do you look different? I you some of you better dressed than children who come from homes. Don't you have good English medium schools when children in homes go to the low medium schools? Aren't your fees paid on time? Don't you get transport picked and dropped, picked and brought back? You need to think, you know what? The hand was of man, but above that hand, there was a father and he was good. And he was good. He took care of me. And all his rules therefore are good. Because the rules does not come from an evil heart. The rules come from a good heart. That's what he says. You evil fathers, if you know how to give good things to your children, how much your father in heaven. He came to his senses and he realized, my father is good. I will come, go back. 
How did he start his journey back? His start journey did not start with his legs. It started with his mind. In his mind, he came to his senses. In his mind. Okay. He knew one thing. He is sitting in a stinking pig pen. He can't, I told the pastors yesterday, he can't change his clothes because he has no clothes to change into. He can't change his sandals because he has no sandals to wear. He has nothing he can change because he has no change, literally no loose change also. To buy a cup of tea, he has nothing. There is one thing he could change. That was his mind. God is not asking anything from anybody here. But there is one thing he wants. It's your mind. Because he who has your mind has your body. And when he comes back with a changed mind, the father who was always waiting sees his son's coming back and he knows this son is not coming back because he's hungry. He's coming back because his mind is changed. And he's coming. And he's coming. And scripture says the father ran. And he ran. You know what? He changed his mind. His father changed his clothes. He changed his mind. His father changed his sandals. And not only changed his clothes and his sandals, the father put a ring on his finger and says, come back, sir. You will always be my son. You will always be my son. Understand what it means. Salvation primarily is a change of mind, which leads to a change of heart. Which leads to a change of desires. Which leads to a change of walk. You are going this way. You are turning slowly back this way. And you are faltering. God says, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You will never be alone. Everybody may forsake you because you changed your mind. Your father may forsake you because you changed your mind. Your mother may forsake you because you changed your mind. Your teacher may forsake you because you changed your mind. But I, who was instrumental in changing your mind, will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you all the end till the very end and take you on to the other side. That's why Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. Take the sword of the spirit and start fighting these ideas and these arguments that is sold to us through a 500 channels on TV, a billion hits on the on the net, and all very hoarding, every advertisement, every politician who stands and talks about Achedin, when Buretin is coming, when judgment is coming, and you look at him and you start, Ya Achedin, Achedin, Achedin. God says, Buretin, 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 the day of judgment, the day of Jacob's trouble, oh the hills shake, the mountain shake, people hide, the kings hide, you want to die, you cannot die, because even the, the death is taken, you hang, you will not die, you eat poison, you don't die, you take a gun, put in your mouth and you shoot, you will not die, because God says, you will not die, you will face judgment, that's what is written, because death is in his hand, Jesus says, who has the keys, has authority, the keys of death and hate in my hand, if you die, I choose you die, otherwise you hang, the rope will break, you will not die, and everything in life is preparing to that day. A world prepares with terror. Hearts of men failing. Scripture says, for my people, for my children, their heads are held high because they know their redemption is near. They don't and we don't prepare the same way. We prepare differently. We prepare with joy. They prepare with terror. They are putting millions, millions, building underground bunkers for rich people to hide when that holocaust comes. Nothing will stop you, the wrath of God coming into your 
bunkers. A man of God builds no bunkers, nothing. He walks because he knows, I am covered by the blood. Oh Jerusalem, oh Zion, will I not be a wall of fire around you? I, your God, is your shield. I go before you. I am your rear guard. I surround you with my glory. I am my everlasting arms are underneath you. Above I am there. Below I am there. You don't have to worry. I am there with you. We don't need bunkers. We need the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. So this morning, I want the worship team to come. Know our God as they prepare. One day you are on the mountain top. He brings you to the dry valley of dry, dry bones. Another day you are in the island sitting among dry bones and he lifts you up and puts you in his throne room and shows you the future. What a God. What a God. We'll stand, we'll sing that song, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms of God.
Father, this morning we just come to you. You are the rock of our salvation, the lifter of our head. And I pray, Father, today we will know that we are seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. If you are seated with Christ, Paul says, then let your mind be on things that are above. And I pray there will be a lifting of heads today, Lord. They will lift their heads from worthless things that are on earth. These fanciful ideas of this earth, these passing desires of this world, they will lift their head and they will think your thoughts, oh God. I take authority in the name of Jesus of Nazareth and I pull down every stronghold, every thought, every argument that lifts itself above the knowledge of God, O oh Master. You have given us power over all the power of the enemy, Lord. An idea, if it is small like a scorpion, we stamp it out. An idea, if it is strong like a snake, we trample it out. Because your word says you shall trample upon snakes and scorpions and they shall by no means harm us. I pray, Father, if poison has entered into the bloodstream of your children. Today I pray and I confess your word. Your word says in Mark 16, even if you take poison, it will not harm you. I pray, Father, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus will work as an antidote in the minds of your people, oh Lord. There will be a conviction in the heart. There will be a pricking in their conscience. There will be a confession from their mouth. And the blood of Jesus will cleanse their minds. They cleanse their consciousness with every unrighteousness, thought, word, or deed, O oh Master. That they be set free in the minds to serve you, Father. And praise Lord, the minds will belong to you, so that with their bodies we will serve you, Lord. We may be in Babylon like Daniel, we may be in Egypt like Joseph, sent out to the world, but our hearts, our minds, and our bodies with the Lord and the Lord alone and we will not prostitute our minds we will not prostitute our hearts we will not prostitute our bodies like Samson did with Delilah we will consecrate it for the Lord's use as Joseph did as Daniel did as your servants did as your son did as the son confessed we confess Behold, in the volume of this book is written about everyone who is standing here. You have given us a body. You have prepared a body for us to do your will and your will alone. And in the volume of this book, we lift this book, we lift this word above every other idea, every thought, every ideology. And we proclaim in the volume of this book, it is written about your son. He is the head. Therefore, it is written about us because we are the body. The body will not be separated from the head. We will not be a head. Headless people, we will position ourselves under our head because the anointing flows from the Father to Jesus and from Jesus to the rest of the body. And I pray by faith, everyone will position themselves under that head in this 11th year so that the anointing will flow oh, from your head, down your beard, down to the hem of your robe so that even if somebody touches the hem of the robe, they would be healed, oh God. Let the anointing flow in your body unhindered, Lord. Every Everything that blocks it, I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, be removed. Our old men will see dreams. Our old women will prophesy. Our children will see. Our babies will hear the voice of the Lord. Our babies will leap in the wombs of their mothers. I pray you will separate these children and the older generation as a set-apart people for the work of the Lord in these last days, O oh Lord. I just thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness towards us, Lord. All these ten years you watched over us and I believe oh Lord we have come through and you brought us through 
and this 11th year i believe you will shift us to a different realm altogether father and as we stand we wait do your will in our lives every one of us thank you father thank you we praise you we worship you we glorify you by faith we lift up holy hands now in thy sanctuary we bless your holy name we bless your holy name we bless your holy name kingdom the power the glory is yours and yours alone oh god thank you father in jesus name we pray amen the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of the father and the fellowship of the holy spirit rest and abide with each one of us amen